Hey, I want to invite you guys, if you've been listening to this podcast and enjoying this content and are passionate about protection, you should know that we have an entire library of all of the protector symposiums that we've ever done uh, hosted at protectornation.com. You can go there and you can download those and you can watch every protector symposium we've had to date there online and you can learn protection tactics from the most, some of the most elite trainers in the world from the comfort of your own home. I think you'll be surprised about how much content we actually have there. Uh, It's very, very, very reasonably priced and you can upgrade your protection skills. Remember, protection is not all about the hard skills. 90% of it is all about the software, the programming, the way you see and move in the world to achieve a safer pattern of life. With that having been said, go to protectornation.com, join us there, and learn from the best of the best. Now, enjoy the show. Boom! What's going on, you guys? Welcome to the podcast. We've got an honored guest, Lou Velozzi here. Um, he's got an amazing background, which I'll get into in a minute. But uh, how you holding up, brother? Bro, I'm doing good, man. Happy to be here. It's an honor to be on, man. Thank you. Man, that means a lot. That means a lot coming from you. Okay, let's dig into this real quick because everyone always likes to, you know, the what's your background question you always get when you meet new dudes. Uh, so okay. retired ATF, 26 years of service, worked undercover for almost two decades. That is a career, man. Only agent in history to purchase over 1,000 crime guns off the streets in an undercover capacity. So he's in the Hall of Fame somewhere. Uh, Participated in the infiltration of violent street gangs, narcotics, trafficking organizations, firearms trafficking organizations, outlaw motorcycle gangs, worked undercover in murder for hire schemes and conducted numerous storefront operations throughout the country uh last one um since retirement authored the book storefront sting uh an atf agent's life under public speaking engagements and hosting the show and this i'm really excited about operation undercover on investigations discovery max and discovery plus so yeah you've been busy man doing some big things. That's awesome. Heck yeah. So how would you describe your background, man? So we got kind of, we got the bio with my horrible reading, you know, I'm a grunt. It just is what it is. <laughs> you know, it just is what it is. I'll fight you. I'll get in a shootout right now, but don't ask me to read nothing, man. It's okay. But I did get my master's degree. You know what I'm saying? Anyways. So um, how would you go into your background, man? What would you say really, really, um, what was it all about? You know, I, I finally figured out what I wanted to do with my life um, when I was 21 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, somehow I I, I fumbled through uh, college and uh, I was just kind of lost. I was bouncing and and just just lost no direction, man. You know, I barely made it through college. And uh, so I just had a chance meeting with a a dude who uh, it, it was the brother of a guy I played ball with in college. and. He happened to be a DE agent who was working undercover. He had just gotten back from uh, Panama, I believe. And uh, it was just, like I said, it was a chance meeting. I was over at this guy's house in the Bronx, and uh, and he came o- and he came over, and we drank a beer. And he he just uh, sat down at the table and just I asked him a few questions about what he did, and he started telling me, and 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 the lights went off, man. Everything uh, 
I, you know, all of a sudden I found a purpose. I was like, man, I want to be an undercover agent. That's yeah. what I, I could do that. That's something I could do. I thought, uh, but like everything in life, brother, you know, you don't, you don't just become an undercover agent, right? You gotta, yeah. you gotta pay your dues. And, um, and, 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 you know, nothing happens on accident, man. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that guy was placed in your path because you did a lot of good, man. You know, that's pretty awesome. Good Lord above, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, you know, I started taking all the tests for all the alphabet agencies and all that and uh, yeah. ended up getting hired by uh, what was then called INS, uh, which is like ICE now, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I got hired as a special agent just because. The only reason I got hired, brother, was because I did good on the test. Um, you know, I was fresh out of college. I was still in test taking modes where where most of the guys taking this test, you know, were were cops and shit. And they, they were, you know, they were not in test taking mode. So only because of that high score, because I had no experience. I was totally unqualified for the job. And uh, and but that was my foot in the door. I got on and, uh, you know, after uh, my background check and all that, I found myself down at the academy in Georgia. And uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And after six months, I found myself on the streets of Los Angeles. Um, this was back. This was 1991. And it was, you Spicy. know, the, dude, early 90s in Los Angeles was the greatest time to be a law enforcement officer, man. It was right. wild. The gangs were running wild, man. Um, you know, there was that whole infiltration of the the Central American gangs coming in and, you know, the gangs in L.A., they, they didn't know what to make of this, right? Because they were bringing in this level of violence that even the L.A. gangs weren't ready for, right? You know, these guys, MS-13, no one had heard of them at this point, but, you know, they were coming in and, and all these... All, all these Central American gangs and, uh, you know, they were chopping body parts off, man. Yeah. Uh, they were... They were leaving messages, man, you know, shoving, shoving people's parts in their mouths and, and decapitating people. Columbia and, neckties and all that stuff. <laughs> it was it was just wild, man. And, and I was hooked from day one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so those days uh, was running the streets and kicking doors in and working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, assigned with LAPD in the, in the Rampart Task Force for a while. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, I wasn't. There was no one to cover for me to do. Um, mm. As a big Italian, uh, you know, the the Italian immigration problem wasn't a big thing in uh, in LA. <laughs> yeah. So it it was street work and uh, kicking doors in and doing human trafficking investigations. And again, that was before that was before anyone even knew about human trafficking. And and it was all being done back then by you know PRC trafficking uh, Chinese, and really? they were just coming in. Oh, they would come in in the Long Beach in containers, man, and just they'd s- stuff a hundred people in a container and and bring them in, you know, and you know, four or five would die on the trip yeah. over. They would just stuff yeah. you in there and be like, "Don't die. Good luck. Pay me. Yep. Good luck. You know, pissing shit in there. You know, we'll see who makes it." And uh, you know, then they they'd bring them to a stash house somewhere before they'd you know they'd have them in sweatshops or you know sex shops or, or whatever it would be, and, and move them throughout the country. Wow. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I fell in love with the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really did, man. And, and the running and gunning and, and, you know, back then, like I said, this was just plain clothes street work. And I, yeah. and I loved it. I knew, I knew deep down in my heart that, uh, you know, I wanted to work undercover and there wasn't going to be an opportunity for me with that agency. But mm-hmm. 
when I, when I got that Rampart Task Force, I was lucky enough to be working with some ATF agents because they mm-hmm. were on there. And brother, you know, they were they were the cowboys, man. Yeah. Um, I had already kind of been, yeah, I had been introducing them at the academy. I, I remember uh, when I first got to the academy, and you know, it's a big cafeteria, right? Lunchtime, and, and you got all all the different agencies, and uh, everybody's clicking up just like in prison. Everybody's clicking up. You know, you sit with your boys, yeah. you see uh, everybody's That's walking right. through, flexing and stuff. <laughs> Don't sit at my fucking table, all that yeah. shit, right? So, yeah, so I remember sitting there, you know, we had these, we had these like stupid uniforms we had to wear and we were, you know, you, you had to be no, no facial hair, real tight uh, with the haircut and all that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then the ATF guys walk in and it looked like, it looked like fucking prison just let out, right? Heck yeah. Salty, like salty as heck. Yeah, that's what's up. And and I was like, man, that, that's where I need to be. And, and then when I started working with those guys and, um, they they were they were the cowboys, man. They they were the guys doing all the undercover. They were in all the shootouts. Mm-hmm. They were they were just a cowboy. You know, it's a small yeah. agency. It was really hard, really hard to get into back then. Um, and you know, I so I, I had to wait my time. So I, I ended up doing uh doing about five years uh in LA with with INS. Then I jumped over to the US Marshals. So I went back to the academy, went through there with the US Marshals. Mm. And uh, I spent a year chasing fugitives with them in New York, which was which was awesome. And yep. then uh, then uh, I went to Puerto Rico doing it. And finally, ATF opened up in 1997. Uh, ATF opened up just a small class for for men and women who were already agents mm. um, and you just lateral over. So that way you didn't have to do the first portion of the academy again. And uh, so I was uh, I had my interview at the World Trade Center in New York. Mm. And I was lucky enough to get on. And, uh, you know, so now I end up going back to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center for a third time and uh, going through the ATF portion. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it was what I wanted. You know, now I'm training, getting training in, in undercover work and all that. And uh, and they, they end up sending me to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just lucked out, brother. Like you said, there was some divine intervention. Crazy man. My, God. Yeah, my first partner was an undercover guy, man. The, the first day he had me do a deal. My first day on, the, I didn't even have my badge yet, and uh, I hadn't been. <laughs> hadn't Baptism been by fire, man. He's just like, yeah, go out there, buy some drugs, homie. <laughs> yep, yeah, he had me yet. And my first day, he had me. Uh, he had me buy a gun off a off a gangbanger. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, you know, I, I was totally unprepared, but he was like, "Hey, listen, the." Uh, this informant's going to bring you to uh crystal burger, which is a uh, kind of like the South version of uh white castle and uh, mm-hmm. crystal. And so um, he said, he's going to, he's going to introduce you to this, this gangbanger Who's got a, uh, he's got a little pistol. He wants to sell for uh, 250 bucks. So you're going to buy it. So he gave me 300 bucks and uh, uh, I, you know, I rolled over there with the informant in separate cars. Mm-hmm. And we, I get in there, and uh, the informant makes the introduction to this guy. Right, it's lunchtime at a fast food joint. There's a ton of people in there. Yeah. So the, the informant introduces me to this guy, and the informant fucking runs out the door. Like runs. And, yeah, like he, he just, just fucking, he, he just, takes off. Yeah. <laughs> so so now yeah, he's, I yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. And this dude, this dude was big, man. Um, yeah. Five six six, right? Big dude, and okay. he's like, "Hey, follow me into the bathroom." So I go into the bathroom with him, right? And again, it's just a fast food drink. So there, there's a, a sink, a urinal, and a shitter. Yeah. And 
he opens the door to the shitter and he's like, come in here with me. And so <laughs> we're getting personal. Yeah. Like, like we're, we're in range, bro. Like it's just, we might have to do, what we got to so, do. I, you know, so the I'm rabbit hole's get getting it. deeper. The rabbit hole's <laughs> getting, <laughs> we're going down. And I'm thinking, all right, I guess this is how it goes. Right. So, yeah. so I walk in first and then he walks in behind me and you know, he, he shuts the door and, and latches it. And, and so now we're like this, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's I'm like a fighting me. drill. And it's like a fighting drill and training. You're not going to both feet are in the tire, man. It's just you and him and the, and the toilet. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, I'm like, man, you know, this is, this is my first day. And, and it's my first deal. And I've already made some bad fucking decisions. It looks like, right. Cause mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of options right now. And, right. uh, you know, so all I'm thinking is, you know, I, somehow like I'm going to get this dude's head in the toilet. If this breaks bad, I know a gun's coming out, right. Cause it's a gun deal. It's a gun deal. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so he, he reaches into his waistband and it, and pulls out this little, uh, um, like a 380 uh, pistol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, luckily, I mean, he was there, he was there to sell the gun. And uh, you know, so I pull out, he wanted 250. Uh, my partner had given me 300. I just pull out the 300, gave him all the money, right? Whatever. Yeah. I just, I just want to get the deal done, just man. Get- I wasn't trying to negotiate or nothing, man. I was, I gave him a bonus. And yep. uh, have a nice day, bro. Break the wrist, walk away, man. Let's get out of so, here. Yeah. So we walk out into the, you know, back into like the restaurant area, and bro, I, I didn't know what the protocol was. Like, are we supposed to break bread? I mean, what, what do you do now, dude? Yeah. I ran out the door just like the fucking informant did. I yeah, hundred percent. And uh, and and so I get my in my car, you know, this car they had just given me, and uh. You know, I radio in and I say, hey, man, all's good because you never know if they can hear you, your monitor. Right. Because shit goes bad all the time. So mm-hmm. I said, hey, man, all's good. I'm going to I'll meet you back at the at the spot. And and there I, I was driving back to the to the meat stop spot to meet the cover team. And I looked, you know, I looked down in the console where I put that gun. And man, that was the greatest feeling of my life. Wow. I had just taken prime gun off the street man. and and I that. I would, bro, that was my crack cocaine right there. Yeah, I was rocked. addicted. Bro, I never slowed down. From that point, I couldn't stop, man. That was wow. It. And so that that's that's how it all started right there. I love it, man. That is a that's a good story, bro. I felt that. I felt that. Then going in that stall with that dude, it's like, okay, and you gotta have ice in your veins. Like you just gotta be in character. You gotta know who you are, you know, like you gotta know that you know you're willing to do whatever you gotta do to get through the thing. You gotta be thinking the whole time, you know. Uh, that's interesting. And those types of characters, I mean, if you're dealing with real predators, like you, you have, I feel like my experience with real predators is you have to be a predator as well. Uh, whatever, whatever side you're for, whatever, but you gotta have teeth, man. Cause they're going to look in your eyes and when they look in your eyes, they yep. can't just see a college kid, man. They got to see that you got something in there. Otherwise you're going to get roasted, man. <laughs> Bro, they're, staring, they're staring deep in your soul because you know, the, the laws of the street are, you know, if if I feel like I can get over on you, I'm going to get over on you. That right. That's the street. Right. If I say, oh, man, I can overtake this fucker right now and take every dime out of his pocket. I'm going to do it. Right. That's yeah. that's how the street works. And that's that's the that's the base. Those are the rules. The rules are there are no rules like that's the way. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> like, I, you know, that's the game, you know, as far as they're that's concerned. Jungle, right? That's the jungle. You yeah, know? man. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, man. I love that. That's a solid opening. What would you say? So another question I always like to ask, man, um, 
And real quick, before I get into that question, yo, shout out to Sydney Core Medical. You know, thanks for for connecting us, man. There he is. He's repping the brand right there. Core Medical is the number one telemedicine provider in the United States. Uh, I've joined forces with him. Lou, you've been running with him for a while. And I think the one thing I'd like to say about him real quick is just that uh, there's so there's like a war going on, I feel like, against the biology of especially Americans. You got forever chemicals in your stuff. You got endocrine disruptors. You got all these things in your food. Almost anything that comes out of a pla- of plastic is disrupting your hormones. There's a lot of dudes, especially military cats and cats that have done this type of stuff that we've done. That are struggling with that and don't realize it. I think it does have huge implications in the suicide rates that we see out there in the game. Men just sitting around being, you know, getting hammered by life and their biology not working. You're dieting. Maybe it's not working. You're eating right. It's you're still not getting what you need. You need to hit up core medical, get your blood work done, talk to the doctors and, and really figure out how they can help optimize you as a human man or woman. Um, they have, they're changing lives, man. The stories they have will bring a tear to your eye. Honestly. Um, what would you say well, about it? Luke? Well, first of all, let me start out by saying that Sid Gordon, huge, awesome been- human. Dude, he's done more for me, like in my retirement, than than anyone else in my life. Um, yeah. I, I started out as a patient, you know. My wife, actually, no, my wife started out as a patient, and wow. and when I saw, yeah, dude, she went from. I mean, she, if I told you my wife was was uh, thirty years old right now, you wouldn't bat an eye, man. And and she's really? in her fifties, like me. Wow. Um, you know what it did for her was was phenomenal. Now all my family. And, and, you know, almost every ATF agent I'm buddies with is a patient at core. And, uh, and then, you know, eventually after I saw what it was all about and how yeah. it could help you, I became a brand ambassador for Sid just, just because I, I believe in it so much Yeah. after seeing firsthand the results, man, you know, I didn't yeah. read about it. I saw it, I experienced it Yeah. and uh, what a great company. And, and the last thing I'll say is it just speaks volumes about Sid when you look at what he like the people around him first yep. of all they would all run through the, the gates of hell for him 100 percent. Right? they'd all they would all literally gear up and go do whatever needed to be done and when you see that when you're a leader and you see that another guy's running a tribe like that it says everything yeah. about that leader's character you know you can tell a lot about a man by the guys he's around that's it brother for sure yeah hundred percent. So yeah, y'all, there's going to be a link underneath this. Uh, if you've been looking at yourself, wondering like why you're not getting what you want to get gains, productivity, mental focus, all that stuff, hit that link, talk to the docs, get some numbers ran through your blood and then figure out what the game is, man. Let's get you optimized. Okay. So one of my favorite questions, man. So you're in this game, you're, you're, you're launching your career, you're out on the streets, you're doing, doing the work, but who is the man behind the work? Who's the man, you know, at your core, you know, who is, who is Lou, man? It's a, it's a corny answer. Um, but, but it's the truth, but it's the truth. Yeah. I took, I took it very seriously that I was working in, for the taxpayers, for, for the people of America. I yeah. took that very seriously. Like that old, that old fucking saying, a full day's work for a full day's pay, man. I took that seriously. And, and I did a lot more than a full day's work yeah. um, all the time because that's that's how I was I was wired. Uh and, and that's that's who I was while I was doing all that. Uh because you know, I can tell you right now, being uh 
you know, being an undercover agent is a weird thing. It's very, uh, you're kind of set apart from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't carry, I didn't carry a badge like the majority of my career. Right. Wow. I, I, had, I had, you know, I looked like, you know, a freak most of the time. I had all sorts of different looks going and, uh, yeah. And, and so, so it's, uh, you're, you don't interact with a lot of cops. You don't, it, it's a very, you know, very small percentage, probably less than 1% of law enforcement. It does undercover work. And, uh, and you're not like, you're not, you don't even consider yourself so much a cop after a while when you're just working undercover. Mm. But I never, I never wavered from like who I was and, and that feeling of I'm doing this for good, man. Like taking the right reasons off. The, and listen, I'm very pro second amendment, but taking crime guns out of the hands of people who are, who are doing bad things, you know, that that's good. That's the Lord's work. That's good work. Yep. And I, I truly believed in it, man. And, and yeah. that, you know, buying dope, I bought a ton of dope. I bought probably more dope than I did guns, mm. but it, there was no satisfaction in buying dope because brother, I could go out even in that's retirement quicksand. by the end of the week. Yeah. I could, I could buy 20 kilos easily, mm. but, Bro, am I really making a dent in anything? You're really not. However, one gun, you buy one gun. And and when I look at that one gun I bought, you know, like, you know, say whatever, off some off some outlaw biker, whoever the hell it is. First of all, that gun's now in the evidence vault and then it's going to get destroyed. How many lives has that gun already taken? Right. And how many lives would it have possibly taken? And, and you know, innocent lives possibly. Yeah. So. That one gun actually makes a difference when, when it's coming out of the wrong hands. Right. So I just, I believed in that, man. And it gave mm-hmm. me such a satisfaction to do that, man. You know, and, and yeah. you know, buying guns is a lot different than buying dope. Anyway, you know, I could, I could train my daughter to go out and buy dope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. Down in the other agencies, nothing like that. But, but, you know, buying dope is easy, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, buying guns is, is a different ball game. Man. Different animal. What's yeah. different of it? Like, is it what 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 makes you say that? You know, so guns are the tools of the trade, right? Yeah. For the most part, right? And, and let's let's face it, most crime revolves in some way around dope, mm-hmm. right? The majority of crimes. That's and, and guns are the tools of the trade. So to get a hardcore criminal to come off that gun is a lot harder than to get him to come off those kilos. Yeah, because right? they're trying to move the kilos. They're just trying to move the kilos. Now, Absolutely. The, the tool, that's a whole different thing. And that's a different kind of whole vibe. You know, what do you need a gun for? Because I'm a dangerous man doing dangerous things. It's a whole different kind of situation rather than I'm a college kid that just wants to, you know, or I'm a dealer that just wants to move money. You know, if I if I challenge someone, if I post them off the street and I said, hey, man, I'm, you know, this is a challenge. I'm going to give you a million dollars Yeah. Um, to either, you know, you got to go buy uh an ounce of cocaine, right? Or an ounce of meth, or you're going to buy a, a handgun. Brother, it's a lot harder to buy that handgun because people are not running them off. I mean, people, there's, there's less of a trust factor yeah. uh, in the whole gun game, man. You know, you got you to get in deeper, uh, you know, to start, you know, and there are people out there who are moving guns. That, that's their mm-hmm. business. But they are way less trustworthy than the dope boys. Okay. You know, okay. Boys flash green and the dope boys are going are gonna to sell it to you, man. You know, the gun guys, not so much. Yeah. So you said you infiltrated. So we're looking at the different crews you infiltrated, man. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about this TV show as well, where people get a real world look at this game. 
But what would you say? There's a few questions I have about it, man. What would you say is 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 at the base of like how do they create these tribes? Where does the loyalty come from, man? Was there anything beautiful that you saw in there that um, you really respect? You know, like what are the, what is the culture all about there? Major yeah, differentiators funny. between these guys, you know. If you had asked me that question uh, years ago, when I was actually when I was in the mix and I was doing it. Mm-hmm. I might have told you that I, I do respect the loyalty that I see that they have toward each other. Mm-hmm. But as I as I got deeper into the game and, and I started to see that that loyalty didn't really run as deep as you think it did. Um, Interesting. And, and, you know, you know, when you really find out is is when you start picking them off. Right. Mm. And all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. when they're looking at Rico statutes. Uh-oh. Right. And they're. And they're looking at dying in the federal pen. Uh, that loyalty starts going out the window. Um, oh man! Start talking. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know uh, a lot of things. And listen, I'm not trying to. You know, I, I don't. I, I never really took any of this personally, and never had any personal animosity, mm-hmm. uh, except for except for when it involved children. Then there there was, you know, but. Yeah most of these guys who, you know, this was their living guns and dope and all that. Um, it was a little disappointing that a lot of them, yeah. you know, when you watch the movies in Hollywood and, and they kind of, they kind of glamorize these guys and, and a lot of them are just petty, petty thieves, man. Petty criminals that you would not leave your wallet in the room with these dudes and step out. Man, it is disappointing. You know, you want to believe, I guess maybe it's a masculine thing. You want to believe there's some honor. You know what I mean? Like, you want to believe there's a pack, you know, like, the, the, you know, Eterna Familia. You know what I mean? Like, you want to believe in that, but. And, and you know, the other thing I found out, and, and again, this was through the years as, as I really started doing these deep infiltrations, was that it, it really, none of this shit had anything to do with. Uh, uh, their heritage, like say, like the Italian mafia, or or with race, uh, let's say, uh, you know, the gangster disciples or the Latin kings or, or whoever it may be, mm-hmm. um, or even their their neighborhoods, mm-hmm. bro. It was all about money. That's that's yeah. their loyalty was always to the dollar. That's what it was always about. Man, um, and they would they would fuck each other over for money. Um, I, I'm talking about. I'm talking about dudes who were, you know, in the same clique, dudes who were, yeah. uh, you know, guys in the mafia together, made men. Yeah. They would fuck each other over for money. Um, you know, they would, you know, they were sleeping with the, you know, this this guy, this is boy, he's sleeping with his with his old lady. Like, man, I I saw as I got deeper in that, that you know, all that loyalty shit didn't really run very deep, and, and it, to me, it was almost a little bit disappointing. Yeah, you know, exactly, because, man. <laughs> you know, there, there is, uh, um, you know, uh, one of my other brothers, Jay Dobbins, who who really did a, a great, he was the first agent to ever get a, uh, a full patch from the Hells Angels. Mm. Um, and, and I don't want to I don't want to steal his his sayings here, but it really is the truth. You know, un, dude, undercover work is it's a dirty, filthy world. It's, it's a dirty job in a, in a filthy world. And, and it, it is nothing like you see on television. And, and again, you see. You see the yachts and the supermodels, right? Mm-hmm. And the 
and, and the Maseratis and all that. And that, that's yeah. not reality. And it's a dirty world where everyone's fucking themselves over. And, uh, you know, you, you're covered in, in a layer of grime. Yeah. You've got to shower a, a few times to get out of it, you know? Wow. That's interesting, man. That's interesting. Uh, what would you say were some 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 methods? I mean, how did you keep the wheels on psychologically being in that game? Sub, you know, subterranean for a few decades, man. How'd you, what grounded you? I think if someone could understand what grounded you while you're in the belly of the beast, maybe it could help them ground themselves and what they're dealing with. But I, I would love to tell you that uh, my faith and my family grounded me, but, but I, I fell short, man. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I failed uh, like a lot of my brothers and sisters did. Um, yeah. I, I never stopped doing it for the right reason. I, right. You know, I always did it for a reason, but personally, I failed. I was a train wreck, you know, toward in the second half of my career as as an undercover. Yeah. Uh, my professional life was soaring, of course, and and you know the you know all the awards and the accolades were pouring in, and mm-hmm. real bad, violent guys were going to prison, and I was filling the evidence room, you know, with with guns and dope. Um, but the awards that I uh, that I wasn't getting were uh, uh, husband of the year, father mm-hmm. of the year, mm-hmm. um, friend of the year for sure. Because yeah. I got lost in it. Um, you know, I got lost in it because Sal Nunziato that that was my for the most of my career that that was my uh, my name, my identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was a he was a roller man. He was a fun guy, good time guy, uh, throwing mm-hmm. money around. Everybody loved him. Uh, and it was a lot more appealing to be Sal Nunziato than it was to be Lou Velosi. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I'd be out there partying with kings, man, um, mm-hmm. and, and and living large and everyone buying me drinks and, and loving yeah. me uh, at nighttime. And the next morning, you know, I'm mowing the lawn, right, and getting yelled at. So... <laughs> this is reality this is a struggle that a lot of men especially powerful men deal with so this is awesome yeah for sure so you know it's i i would say it was like you know as a high level operator you know like you know marine or or, you know uh, whatever seal and all that you know when you're on deployment and and you're just you're it you're the man you're in the mix you don't choose. Uh, you choose. People live. People die. You got millions of dollars of equipment. You got your wolf pack with you. You what you say is law. In so many cases, there's an honor culture around you. The other men around you respect you and honor you. Then you come home, and they I mean even Jesus said, "A prophet is without glory in his hometown." You know what I'm saying? Like even a prophet's without honor in his own home. So you got to do. You got to. You got to balance, man. It's gnarly. It's so true. Like when you were out there, right? All the support people kind of look up to you and, and yep. you have that going. And, you know, sometimes. Uh, stripes. We, yeah, we can't help but get a little carried away with ourselves. And uh, men. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, a few hours later, you know, your wife saying, hey, motherfucker, you ain't mowed the lawn in three weeks. It looks like shit. The neighbors are complaining. Right. And and so it's so much easier just to slip back into that world and 100%. the other world. Right. So. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, I, I'd love to tell you that, you know, I, I was grounded by my faith and, 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 uh, you know, I was grounded by my family and, and my, my boys I grew up with. But uh, I, I kind of lost all that uh, when I, as yeah. I kept getting deeper and deeper into it. And, uh, and, and so when that happens, 
that that's a that's the snowball right that starts and it just gets bigger and bigger and you know it's going to end badly right mm-hmm. it's going to end bad and, and it did you know and mm-hmm. i uh you know i barely crossed the finish line in my career uh because yeah. of that yeah but that that's yeah. the way it ends for a lot of us right I, yep. i'm not the only you know yeah no 100 percent. that's 100 well because you know i mean i don't want to get all like metaphysics but like an object in motion needs something of greater you know what is it greater uh equal or greater force to stop it from being in motion so like if we're alcoholics if you're struggling with you know sex drugs rock and roll whatever it is in order for you to get something to get your attention unless you're a wise person who can look and then change but most of us aren't we we, we need another object of something massive to happen so we need that divorce we need that you know trauma to get us to wake up and be like yo dude i need to re i need to shuffle the deck and i need to go ahead and re recalibrate how I'm, I'm navigating all this so for you was there anything i feel like you're doing good now um was there anything that helped you repair and heal from the neglect of those different quadrants of your life i had to crash i, I was yep. that uh, crashing is love man it's like god's way of, it's it's fatherly love man sometimes we got to get wrecked well unfortunately uh my crash came uh in the form of being under investigation, um, my whole so spicy. So yeah, overnight I went from, you know, one of the most hotshot undercover agents in the country to a piece of shit, a leper. Yeah. Yeah. Who, uh, was, you know, all of a sudden now I got my own agency, uh, OIG and FBI investigating me. Um, and, and, you know, things had came out, uh, there was an affair with one of the federal prosecutors, uh, and it came out in a paper, you know, my, my undercover career was obviously over. Uh, my agency was super cool about it. Um, but you know, like the U S attorney's office and OIG, not so much. So, uh, I crashed, um, you know, my wife, my, you know, my, I, I, now I'm, I went from being that guy all of a sudden now being worried about my pension right my my actual job my freedom right what what the worst part was you know what are my kids going to think if they read this shit in the paper right what are they going to be thinking of me and uh you know my marriage the whole deal and you know there i was uh i found myself sitting in front of a psychiatrist right and with my wife and you know, bro, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah. I was I was sitting up there in my room by myself with my Glock in my mouth, trying to find a reason not to do it because I knew there was no no way out. Because I knew these people coming after me were the same people that I knew they always get their man because you know I was one of their goons for all these mm-hmm. years. Yeah, and so I didn't see a way out, and I ended up sitting in front of a psychiatrist. And uh, you know, my wife turned and looked at me, and she goes, "She knew, she could see it in my eyes," and she said. If you do what I think you're going to do, you know, I'm going to make sure that your son knows what a piece of shit you were. And, uh, you know, those are, those are some hard words to hear, brother. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, my, my wife, very strong Latina from Queens. And, uh, you know, thank God, you know, she didn't believe in divorce. And, and she wasn't going to let me off the hook that easy. And, uh, you know, I I had a big hole to crawl out of, right? And and you can't 
you can't gain trust back through words. You can only gain trust back through actions and time. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, my agency, they knew, uh, they were like, listen, you know, if we, if we went after every ATF agent who, you know, was putting his dick where he shouldn't be, we wouldn't have an agency. Mm-hmm. They were like, we know you didn't really do anything wrong, but we can't help you because once right. OIG takes over, we're out of it. So they right. gave me a safe place to land. They put me at the National Center for Training uh, for Explosives, which I knew nothing about, but right. they just gave me a nice place in Alabama. They gave me a nice place to land and uh, while, while the dust settled. Right. And, you know, sure, ship, are they investigating me for over two years? You had to sit in it for over two years. Listen, as as an undercover guy, you know, undercover area is very gray, right? Everything you do is a gray area, you know? Yeah. So, you know, your mind, my mind starts playing tricks because it's the first time in my life that I wasn't in control. And that's why I fell apart because, you know, I've always been in control of my own destiny and and what's going on around me. I had no control. Yeah. And there was no mercy. Yeah. And they weren't like, all right, we're going to have a result for you by December. Like You didn't know. It was just open-ended. And uh, and, and that played with my mind. So it, it took a while, you know, and finally I was I was exonerated. There was no no findings of any wrongdoing, but it, I was done. I mean, it was I was eligible to retire at, you know, after the after they cleared me and all that. And uh, I had to get back to town and, and try and, you know, get my family back and all that. So uh Mm-hmm. You know, I retired and, and that's when I just uh a buddy of mine told me to write a book and uh mm-hmm. and that's when I started turning things around, man. That's awesome, man. Nah, man, that's I I I I understand <laughs> at a lot of levels, man. You know, obviously I our experiences are so different, but I think it's really important that people understand, you know, that you went through that and you know the things you said, like trust is re-earned, man. Like you know, you get fat one bite at a time and you get lean again, one bite and one, one freaking decision at a time. You know, you get yourself in this stuff, one decision at a time, you get yourself out one decision at a time. And the being able to sit with that and work the equation, man, and keep working the equation. You know, I, I've been in some stuff even lately where I'm just like, father, I just need my heavenly father. It's stronger than me. This can destroy me. That can destroy me. And there's like three of these things I'm staring at them, you know, and for me, the only thing that's gotten me through that stuff is my faith, man. Because I ain't smart enough, bro. And I ain't good enough. And I don't, and I, and I deserve worse. And I just sit there, bro. And I just am like, you know, I thank God that he said he'd be with me, you know, through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, and um, he's always delivered me. That's all I got. I wish I had some cool guy thing for you guys, some workout drill, or some, you know, some something you could, you know, but that's the only thing that that has kept me not dead and and not worse and you know um yeah that's powerful stuff that's good man but i think too yeah you know our our brother mel yeah mel let's talk a little bit about just mel. Gonna, well our brother mel chancy uh i i think he kind of he when he said this to me man it really resonated and you know obviously you know, military and law enforcement, you know, now Mel's experiences are, are far different. Right. But but the the feelings are the same. And he said to me once that, uh, you know, when he was like, you know, at under Rico charges and, and everything was collapsing and, and all that, like he said, he had to literally pull over on the side of the road and say, God, you you got to take the wheel, man, because I can't steer anymore. You know, I, I don't know which, where to turn. You got to take yeah. the wheel. Yeah. 
Because you, as a strong man, especially man, we, we dominate, man. Like we're juggernauts. Like I, in my life, there's just like, I've been like, a, I just, I don't really feel pain. If I lock onto something on the spectrum of psychopathy, all of us types of guys are. And if I lock onto something, I'm going and I'll take damage to get there. And I don't care. And then they're just, they're always, and now I've done it a couple of times. So there always comes a time when Yo, I gotta believe in God because I didn't got myself into so much. Yeah, I'm, and I'm just like, I can't. I just can't. I just don't have it. And and dude, it's and dude, he's he's been the only one that's never left me, never forsaken me. I've been a leper multiple times, and he's just been sitting there next to me. And I've been like, hey man, like how are we? Even, hey father, how are we gonna do this? And and I just thank God for His grace, man. I just want people to understand that that's there for him if they want it. And uh, the other thing, too, I think that's really big, especially like with the Mal, with Mal Chansey, you guys, if you guys don't know who he is, you got to look him up. You got to follow this guy. The story is just it's larger than life. He's got some cool stuff coming down the pipe, too. But like there's like if you're not dead, the story's not over. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you are not if it if you are not dead, you are just the hero in the story. And this is the part where you, by the grace of God, got to fix it. And you can like you really can like. You know, Mel, what did he get sentenced to? I mean, he I think he was sentenced to 20, like high 20s, 27 years, maybe 26 years. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I, Mel and Chris, I think uh, Sid told me to ask you about uh, Mel yeah. and Chris, that whole thing, man. What would you say about that? I mean, the whole story is so unbelievable, but, you know, I was there and it's true. So Chris was my my mentor, right? He, he was my guy, man. He, uh, the greatest undercover agent to ever walk the face of this earth. And uh, wow. I was lucky enough to start working with him uh, early in my undercover career. And um, so, I, you know, I knew about all that. And and Chrisser, uh, you know, Mel Chansey, uh, make no bones about it, was the most notorious motherfucker in the city of Chicago. He was he was Al Capone notorious everyone knew every he was on he was on the radar for every law enforcement agency he was if you ask any cop any fed in chicago you know who's number one who is who is america's most wanted in chicago it was mel chance all right from the hell's angels (laughs) dude hell's angels president the drug dealing the guns the violence all that so so chrisser who who didn't really grow up too far from Mel in, in like in the South part uh, in Chicago. He ended up going undercover with a, with a different chapter. He didn't want to try to get undercover with anywhere where Mel was because there was just too many people in common. They might know, right. It was a little too close. So he went, I think it was uh, Rockford. He, he ended up going undercover with, but through being in a different chapter and all that, he was able to compile uh, enough evidence on Mel uh, to get those Rico statutes. And, you know, as you know, Rico's no joke, right? They, they st- Rico statutes basically, you know, began because of the, the mobsters, right? Capone and all them. That, that's why they started. It was a way for the feds to, you know, racketeering influence cor- corrupt organizations to to lump everyone together and, and to get everyone basically life in prison. Just yank the whole entire thing down. So, so, you know, and, and, because it was applicable to criminal organizations, you know, the, the biker gangs fell right into it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, and and during you know, Mel had gone to prison, uh, state prison for other things, and uh, you know, the, he got hit with those RICO statutes after he had gotten out of state prison, and so when he finally got hit with those RICO statutes, and ATF, you know, shut the block down and kicked his doors in and and took him in, uh, in in a strange twist of fate, you know, through through a lot of interviews and talking, you know, Mel was sitting there in court. Uh, when he first his initial appearance with a couple other Hell's Angels, and he looked over at the prosecutor's table, you know, he sees this he sees this biker looking dude sitting next to the prosecutor, and he asks his guys, these other Hell's Angels, you know, from that chapter, he's like, "Hey, who's the biker dude sitting next to the prosecutor?" And you know, they look at him and they go, "That's our prospect." And mm-hmm. you know, Mel Mel was like, you know, well, F minus on that one right there, you know. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying, I don't want to tell Mel's story, but this yeah. is how it went. And uh, so Mel knew he was in trouble at that point. Uh, he wasn't getting out of this one, right? Yeah, it's too so, deep. But through, you know, uh, you know, Chris would listen to all his prison calls. And, and Mel had already, at this point, he had truly found God yeah. and begun to change. Mm-hmm. However, the feds don't care if you found God, right? right. You're going to pay for your past sins. Yeah. Um, so, but, but through multiple interviews and listening to all his prison calls, Chris was like, man, this guy's for real. He, this guy has really changed, man. And they started developing a relationship, right? And, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to fast forward this, you know, Chris ended up like kind of looking after Mel's mom while Mel was away, you know, in, in fed prison, getting bounced around, you know, and, you know, Mel's in the maxes, right? You know, they're not sending Mel Chancy to a minimum security, right? You know, yeah, Mel's with he's the big Mel's fish. Fucking Pablo Escobar in the maxes, right? So, so, uh, but they maintained communication uh, throughout, and um, and and developed this strange friendship. And when Mel, uh, when Mel finally, you know, got out of prison, he got got an early release. Yeah, so. So he gets out and, and you know, Chris brought me over to the house and, and I meet this guy and uh, it, it's it's every dude I ever grew up with, man. He, he's a neighborhood guy. He just made poor decisions. Right. Yeah. He took a different he just took a different uh, a different road than me and you did. Yeah. Um, right. And he went down that path. And, and and just like you were really good at what you did in your profession. Mel was really good <laughs> at what he did. Right. Yeah. Crime. Yeah. And uh, and. and so, so that's how it shook out. And, and I realized after, you know, after spending a couple hours with him, I was like, man, I could have been this guy, right? Yep. You could have been that. Guy. Yep. And uh, we, we've maintained that friendship over 15 years now, man. Yeah, that's meaningful, man. I think the big lessons, too, is just really on that, man. Like, I don't know, we serve and Mel as well. We serve a God of restoration, man. Restoration is, is unless if you're still alive, restoration's in the cards, you know, like, we came awesome. came through some dark pipelines, but like, I mean, here we are, you know, Mel's got an awesome brand. He's doing the Lord's work. You've got an awesome brand kicking off this TV show, wrote a book, all this stuff, doing so much good in the world. I'm still here by the grace of God. These brands are going and we're doing amazing things. So, you know, I know, you know, 22 dudes, veterans are committing suicide and all these different things are happening on a daily. I want you guys to realize like restoration is never out of the cards. Mel got sentenced to like two decades man you know what i mean he's done more than a lot of us and he's got a beautiful life he glows you know when you watch him you know lose over here changing the world that we're doing some awesome stuff so that that means a lot man. Hey, Byron, let me let me tell you what really impresses me about mel hmm. 
you know, Mel's probably done, uh, you know, he's, he's in his fifties like me. He, he's, he spent about a third of his life in prison, right. Between federal and state in the belly of the beast. Well, and to have the outlook that he had that positive outlook he has on life after doing all that time in prison is so impressive to me, man. Cause bro, I, I don't, I wouldn't want, I could not imagine. I don't want to do one night in jail, bro. <laughs> bro this, right. This dude has spent much of his life behind bars in a cell. And you know, he was in solitary, like at those supermaxes, man, you, you don't see people, right? This is you don't even God, see people, bro. Right? Locked down. <laughs> yeah. So it really is impressive. That's how you know for real yeah. that he knows God mm. to have the outlook he has after you know after yeah. doing all the time, man. Impressive. Mm. It's hundred percent impressive. And sometimes the path leads you to solitary. Like like sometimes God will separate you from everybody so He can get a hold of you, get your attention, and you guys can get to work. You know, powerful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, bro, but I, I can tell you that, like, that feeling of being alone, um, that, that's a tough one, man. Uh, I'd rather be surrounded by scumbags, at least, but someone who's breathing, than, than just that solitary being alone is tough, man. Well, the being alone and 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 not having, like, not honor, like, no honor, like, that the right. cop, like, when you're a leper, when whatever happens in your life or your career or whatever happens, like, being alone and losing your honor, that little combo, man, when everyone's looking at you like you're the bad guy and you're like, and, and you're that combo is nasty, bro. <laughs> it's spicy, man. Yep. You know, you said something interesting earlier. You said that, you know, even at those points, you said God never left you, right? He never yep. left you. And that's funny because I, I have now, you know, I, I've had some, some limited success, right? With the mm-hmm. book and, and the, TV show and everything. And and it's funny. I, I have like people coming out of the woodworks that like that I knew years ago, um, you know, government agents and all this. And they're like, brother, you're killing it. You're doing so good. Let me tell you something, bro. When I was under investigation, my phone never rang. <laughs> yep. Nobody knew me back then, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And- except for, you know, except for, except for my, my core, you know, except for that, you know, I wasn't hearing from all these people back then with words of encouragement. Yep. hundred percent. The, he's the only one, man. Parent, my parents go this way, that anybody and everybody, the only person I've ever had with me when I'm butt naked by myself is just having a father, <laughs> dude. That's dang it. That's it. No matter what they think of me, man, that's For good sure. stuff. So let's get into this TV real quick. And then we'll get into some closing questions. The show you guys got, man, what's this thing about, man? What are, what's going down? And it's already, it's already out, right? Like it's, we can go watch it and go watch it tonight. But you can, you can, uh, so if you have uh max, you know, on an mm-hmm. HBO max, uh, you can watch it at any time operation undercover. It's called, if you have discovery plus you can watch it anytime. Uh, awesome. it's showing right now on investigation discovery. It's actually playing tomorrow, Saturday morning at 8 AM for all you early risers, but you, you know, the best way to do it is just go on max and, and just order it up. Uh, so it's, it's a show where I, I love it because it's not about me. I'm the host. I go yeah. around featuring featuring these undercover, these crazy undercover stings that different uh, law enforcement agencies are doing around the country. And yeah. it's not just it's, it's things. It could be, uh, um, you know, prostitution stings, uh, uh, sex trafficking, uh, dope, guns, anything where they're doing these undercover sting operations just to keep the community safe. 
And yeah. I get in there, they, they're giving me access to get in there. And there's, we're not doing recreations, you know, with these videos. These are real undercover videos we're showing and we're talking to the undercovers. We're talking to their bosses and, and we're putting it out there. And it's, it's very different from the usual cop show. Yeah. Um, again, there's no recreation, man. This is real undercover work and we're, we're putting it right on the screen. And, and I'm asking these guys questions like, you know, what, what was your mindset right here? Right. You know, how, mm-hmm. the way you reacted to that, tell me why you did that. And, and it's, it's really cool, brother. Really That's gnarly. Cool. So it gives you a, I mean, it really gives you a lens into both sides of it, into like the criminal operation. Yeah. You can study what's going on around you in this world, but then also on the, into the law enforcement side of it, man, if some of you guys are looking to get into that or um, excited by that, I mean, one of the struggles that me and my wife have is like, what can we watch at nighttime? That's not just like straight up garbage. (laughs) It's just straight up, just garbage. Like, you know what I mean? So we're always looking for good shows, man. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to, I just texted to my, the the name to mine. So we're going to check it out tonight and get in on that, man. That's I'm proud of you, brother. Real quick, a few more closing questions. What do you think was the hardest um, lesson you learned out there in the game doing this type of work? The hardest thing to stomach, the hardest lesson. Or maybe uh, something that got brought you close that, you know, was a hard lesson that almost kills you or something. <laughs> well, no, it, it was the, the hardest lesson was was the uh, the constant betrayal that I had to do uh, to other people. Right. Because yeah. these people are <clears throat> they're still God's uh, creatures. They're still humans. And yeah. uh, if you don't if you don't feel that sense of betrayal and that doesn't affect you, I, I don't think you should be doing this job because um, yeah, you're not a good person <laughs> no so so i'm gonna befriend i'm gonna befriend a guy uh and he he's gonna take me in and i'm gonna meet his family right i'm gonna it's meet just. his inner circle and yeah we're gonna and and you know but there's very very few like just pure evil people out there right, right. even these even these hardcore bad guys they have you know some of them they might be good fathers uh, they might be uh, good husbands. Maybe they take even take care of their community uh, pretty good, even though they're not doing it through honest means, but they're still doing it. Yeah. So, so you, you you don't ever really hate everything about any of these people, but what what you are doing is you are gaining their trust and their friendship, and every single word you tell them is basically a lie, mm-hmm. and. The culmination of this whole relationship that at at the end of this relationship, which might be six months, it might be a year, it might be two years, I'm going to fuck you over. And you're going to realize that every every word that came out of my mouth was a lie. All right. And then you're going to go to prison for a long time and I'm going to walk off and do the next one. And and so the betrayal for me was it's just constant, right? You fuck over this guy and now you're on to the next case and you're going to fuck over these guys. After a while, Starts that starts playing with you and it gets your soul. And you start doubting yourself, right? And you know, is hey man, you know, am I a piece of shit like for doing this, right? Um, you know, yeah. I, I'm doing it for the right reasons, but eh, still. So it, you know, to answer your question, it, it was the the constant over and over that that wore me down, man. 
Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's understandable. I think it means you're a healthy human because like, you know, there's the laws, but like as I think as humans and as men, we have we still have codes, you know, and I think you said something yeah. really solid back there, too, that I wanted to touch on is like, you know, I, I made it to the Marine Corps <clears throat> and, and have found an outlet and uh, a, a way of being that was sanctioned. But I think all of us, a lot of guys like us are just one bar fight or one cultural adjustment away from being in the shoes of the other guy behind bars. You know, if I had grown up in a different hood, had different influences growing up, um, you know, got too angry at some house party in high school, like I could have easily been on the other side of the tracks. You know what I mean? And you, you meet good dudes wherever you are. It's just what side of the line you guys are on, man. And, and it's, that's the, that's the truth of it, man. I never looked down on anybody for where they've been, man. I had this one situation. I was at a at a beach party, a pool party in Miami, and uh, there was a guy who had um, some swash stickers and stuff like that on him. And um, everyone at the pool party was starting to like circle up on him and like like kind of attacking him and taking shots at him or whatever because his his tattoos. <clears throat> so I kind of walk up and I start observing. And he's got a, another black dude he's kicking it with. And he's like, you know, and they're kind of like, look, dude, we just want to have a good time. You know, my dude just spent seven years in like, you know, prison, some like deep in prison, you know, and he had to do what he had to do to survive. He's like, I'm his homie. He's not, pre he's not racist, you know, like he's not prejudiced, um, but he had to do what he had to do to survive. And he just got out and we're just trying to have a good time or whatever. And I had just got back from Iraq and I looked at the dude. I looked into his eyes, man. And I just remember just seeing like a, I just remember seeing a real dude, man. And then I looked at all those little silly villains, bro. And I just told them, I was like, you guys go and have a nice freaking evening. Enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your nice, beautiful little lives. I was so pissed. I was just like, enjoy your little pretend lives. I was like, leave this freaking man alone. I was like, you have no idea what he had to do to freaking survive. You will never understand. I was like, go enjoy your drink. And they all left. I was, cause I was, I was like, like it was, we were about to make it rain. I was like, I was like, leave these guys alone, man. Cause these guys are real predators. I can see that this is a real dude and like, no, you know, like, so I, I, I totally understand that. I respect that. 100%. Bro, that that story you just told rings it, it rings so so clear with me because you know I learned through my years of doing this that that guy that you might be judging you know by his looks by what he looks like and how he's carrying stuff he might be the same guy who fucking saves your life because yep. you just don't know mm -hmm. right you, until you get to know somebody you cannot judge them you know by by their situation or what they look or any of that man. Yep. Um, and and that's the fucking truth, man. Yep. And everybody thinks they know themselves. You don't know yourself until you've been in some situations, homie. You're, we're all capable of a lot, a lot more things than we mm -hmm. like to think we are. Yo, what would you Can't say was? Yeah, man. What would you say is your proudest moment? Uh, proudest moment doing the work, man. You know, I didn't. It was funny because there was not a lot of uh, thank yous. Right. You know, like I said, it, it's a dirty world and, it, and it's just such dirty work. And there, there's not a lot of attaboys or or, uh, mm -hmm. or thank yous from anyone. You don't really you're not really uh, dealing like I wasn't as Nouvelle ever really dealing with the public. Right. I was, mm -hmm. selling, I was a shipper. And so I, I would say that moment came when uh, and this is a crazy this is a crazy story. I'll tell it real quick. I had done a murder for hire. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it was actually a doctor who had hired me to kill his wife. Mm -hmm. 
and, and this this guy was was uh, he was the doctor for the LPGA tour. Uh, mm. He was legit, um, and he wanted his wife dead. And so, without getting too deep into it, you know, I, I he hired me as a hitman, and I was able to. I even got him to to supply me with the gun to do it. And, um, you know, it was a real tight case. It actually made case law. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, case law in that uh, they, they found that when he was calling me, uh, we were both in the same state. He was in I was in uh, a city in Georgia. He was in a city in, in South Georgia. And when he would call me, uh, the it would bounce off a tower in Jacksonville, then back up to my phone. And that, there was our federal nexus to charge him federally with murder, for hire, right, which sounds kind of cheap. but but it, it worked and they appealed that, but it made case law. So anyway, hmm. this lady had a daughter when I met the daughter uh, because we had to pull her in before we finished because we, we started to get worried. Maybe he was hiring. Maybe he had a backup plan. And so we pulled her in and she brought a daughter. So I met this little girl and you know, there was tears and the whole deal. Fast forward years later, and I'm just coming out of my funk. Uh, I'm with my wife. We're at a restaurant and there's this waitress and she keeps staring at me. Right. Um, you know, real, real cute girl, maybe 22 years old, whatever. And, uh, you know, now I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, what's I this don't need any more me? drama, girl. No, you, know, scary, you know, get lost in the dark without a flashlight over here. <laughs> Leave I'm, me thinking about, I'm thinking about ducking out. Right? So yeah. anyway, <laughs> she comes up to me. She goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no, I don't. And I'm like, Ugh. and, and <sighs> she goes, you, uh, she goes, you saved my mother's life. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to say, I'm so in daughter, and uh, you know, you were my, my stepfather had hired you to, to kill her, and that was the daughter. And she started crying and hugged me. And uh, you know, that to me, because I, I never really got to uh I never I never got to interface with any of the victims of these crimes. And that was really the only time I ever did. And and you know, to have her crying and hugging me and thanking me. That that was the most powerful moment, you know, in my yeah. career. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. When you get to see the fruit, the fruit of all the work, I think it's really easy Yeah, uh, for us. Like, you know, when you get to see the fruit of it, because we just we just get hammering. We get on task and we just get hammering. But then when you get to see the humanity of it, it reminds you of what you're doing and the impact yeah. of it. That's meaningful. That's huge, man. Let's see here. Any thoughts to people that, you know, any any safety considerations to modern people that you know, you think that could help them keep themselves and their families safe or is organized crime kind of its own kind of little world? If you stay out of it, you kind of stay out of trouble. Or is there anything you see people doing now or that they should or shouldn't do that could keep themselves safe? Well, I, I'm worried right now about just the everyday American because I, I feel that there's been a, such a shift in uh, in our culture as far as um, you know, all this stuff with, you know, we're, we're going to let violent criminals out without bail and all that. And so. When I was really in the mix doing this, um, as far as like the really violent organizations, the mafias, the bikers, the cartels, you know, the big street gangs. You know, we couldn't stop it. But we we kept them looking over their shoulder, right? They were right. always looking over their shoulders because they knew we were out there. 
they knew we were doing the work. So they didn't know if that new guy they were meeting, they, they you know, they'd be, very, oh, man, could this be a fed, right? They were, they were looking over their shoulders. But recently, man, you know, the police departments, government agencies, they, they've kind of stopped doing the work. This, this work that I was doing, they've kind of, and, and, you know, with all this, they're letting every, all the violent criminals out, um, you know, without bail and all that, th- these guys, they're not looking over their shoulders anymore. So, you know, I, I truly believe that because of that and, and because uh, people don't realize how deep the cartels are ingrained in our society now. I mean, they're here, brother. Been they're, here. they're not in Mexico. They're here. Deep. Been here. Deep. Yeah. Generations have been here at this point. And, and they're willing. They, you know, they come from a different place than we do. Yeah. They are willing to do violent things. They don't care about cops. They don't care about the laws. So in my opinion, the people you you're a fool if you are not training yeah. right if you are not taking courses it, it all goes back to training yeah you're a fool if you're not doing that if you don't know how to yeah you know, if you're not proficient with a handgun uh if you're not proficient with a long gun if you can't use your hands yeah. right if you can't if you don't know how to grapple um if you don't have that basic situational awareness and your head's not on a swivel you know while you're with your wife and your kids you're a fool these days because times have changed yep and you can no longer rely on the police you can no longer rely on the federal government yep to keep you man yep uh, there's been a cultural shift in america and that cultural shift has allowed these cartels and these criminal organizations you know to to get deeply ingrained here and and man we got to protect ourselves now brother 100% Nah, you said it perfect, man. That is literally why I I started rolling out. I mean, I went to another course and they're saying, look, bro, our homegrown gangs are getting wrecked and they're getting replaced by uh, guerrillas from third world countries that are coming up here by more organized organizations. I mean, Americans are getting soft. Their gangs are losing. Like we actually like the homegrown gangs, man, because they're just way less. They're easier to deal with than these other these other combatants. Um, and that is literally why I've started that civilian protector project, because it's like, look, like what just happened in Israel, you know, like a blitz terrorist uh, attack out here where everyone's just staring at their phones and is raised with participation trophies. Man, we're a soft target. You know, if I can get people the the skills to understand the psychology of being a protector, how to move how to look at things, how to set up your home, how to uh, situate yourself while you're out in society so that you can be ahead of the, so you can be left of bang. You can be ahead of the game if something happens. And if I can get people those hard skills, medical, huge, you have the highest probability of using your medical. I mean, you get a car accident today, you're going to have to stop some bleeding and deal with some trauma. Medical, driving, shooting, actually risk assessments, like looking at your home and like, what do I need here? Like, how can I make myself a harder target? My family, myself, my house my car a harder target what what second line gear should i have you know with me if i do have to like really okay yeah maybe there are there is an insurgency like what we're talking about really is an insurgency like the enemy is here they're mixed in with us they're not going to put on uniforms and run around the streets like we and and our borders the last number i heard talking you know to the boys down at the border i mean it's really closer to like 10 million um 10 million that they know of that have come into the country. So that's that they know of, you know, and everyone on every list up and down that we've been terrorist organization, all of them, they just been let in. It's, it's, um, it's like demolition to America, what this administration's been doing. And so, yeah, you are, you are, you are it. 
you know, and yeah. first responders, I mean, God bless them, but they can't, they're not here to secure you. They're here to enforce laws. There's a big old difference, bro. They come in, enforce the law, but who's securing you and your family? That's you. Um, you're just not a and they're thinker. They're all handcuffed now. They, they don't want to act. They're, they're scared to act. And, right. and they're not getting quality uh, training. And, and here's here's the big difference is the, the way I look at, at, at what's here now that, as opposed to what used to be here. So so your average, like, I don't know, 17 or 18 year old American punk who's got this little handgun that he really doesn't know what to do with or what end the bullet comes out. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not dangerous because he is willing to pull the trigger. And he's, yeah. but he, he's probably not getting me or you. Okay. Yeah. He is not trained. However, what's what we're facing now, what has come up, you know, these guys, they're they're coming from the mountains of El Salvador and and they're trained. They're guerrilla fighters, man. And they've been fighting since they were like seven, bro. (laughs) They've been holding an AK from before the 10th birthday. (laughs) And they're here, man. And and now that's what you, you that's what you have to protect yourself and your family from. Because the governments can't do it for us anymore. They're not going to do it for us. Right. And on us. Yeah. 100%, man. I couldn't, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more, man. That's good. That's awesome. Now let's see here. So final questions, man. Um, One habit you think protectors should look at to make them better people and, or a better protector, you know, just a habit you'd like people to look at. Brother, that's an easy one for me. Training, training, training. Yeah, you are only as good as you are trained. <laughs> yeah, and and it, it is, and that's in everything. That, that's every aspect. Like when, uh, and here's the way I always looked at it. I had this great boss, the the best boss I ever had. His name is George Belsky, mm-hmm. and he was not popular with some of the agents, but with with those of us who were here, we loved him. Yeah, his first day, he came in the office. And he called us all in on the meeting. Now he's a he's a former military guy like you. And he he sat us all down. He looked at us, and this is what he said. He said uh, it, it was the greatest thing I've ever heard. He goes, "This is the mindset that I expect from each and every one of you. When you walk into a room, any room, I want you to think: How can I kill every person in this room that is not, not me?" Whether or not, whether or not you're you're infiltrating a biker gang and you're walking into their clubhouse for the first time, or whether you're going to the in-laws for Thanksgiving dinner, I want the same mindset. When you walk in that room, how do I kill every motherfucker in this room who isn't me? And when yep. he said that, I, I sat up in my chair and I was like, this is my guy. Yep. This is my yep. guy. Yeah. Now there, there was there was some other agents who who they they weren't down with that mindset. They didn't have right? that engine. Yeah. Oh. You know, and and so, but, but to have that mind, that mindset is useless unless you have the ability to carry it out. Right. And you can only have the ability to carry it out if you train and train and train. If I walk in to the Hell's Angels clubhouse and every, and I have that mindset, but there's guys in there who are more proficient than I am with, with a firearm, I'm going to die. If there's right. guys in there who are better with their hands than me, or they're they're better on the ground, or, yeah. or they're all deadlifting seven fifty, and and I can't pull my my body weight off the floor, I'm gonna die. So, 
you got to have that mindset, but you have to have the training to back it up because the mindset's useless without the ability to execute it. And, yep. and that only comes from training and not training 20 years ago. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Don't fall into the once upon a time guy. A lot of us have done right. some amazing right. things, bro. Iraq was like 20. I mean, Iraq was over a decade ago, bro. You know right. what I mean? Like I get guys come out to our inbox for details sometimes, you know, prior to this, that, and the next thing. And I'm like, I love you for what you did. But like, yo, I got this silly villain over here who's been like following Mike Glover and training, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, I go to the range a couple times a week and I try to go to jujitsu a couple times a week. And like, yeah, he wasn't in the sandbox, but right now, He's wrecking your face on these drills. You know what I'm saying? So he's literally more dangerous. You know what I mean? He might not have the engine, but he's got the training, man. So it's the truth, bro. God bless him. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's a good one. I love it. And and it, you'll learn so much about yourself if you're training, man. You just you become a better person trying to cultivate that. And then the final question I like to hit, man, is um, at the end of the day, bro, Blue Velozzi, man, what's it all for? You know, what's it all for? How would you like to be remembered? I, you know, I, I would love to be remembered by by the people that I care about, like the people I don't know, however they remember me. I don't. It doesn't God matter. Me, but, <laughs> right. The people that, that I know and that I love, I, you know, I just want them to remember me as somebody who, at least, you know, I, I fell short. I'm a sinner, but I made a change. Right. I did. I did a little more good than I did bad. Right. I, I hope, you know, when I go up, you know, and I'm at the pearly gates and I'm and, and they're making their decision. I, I really hope that I'm 51 good, maybe in 49 bad. I did yeah. a little more good than I did bad. Right. I, you know, I got these guns off the street. Uh, I locked up some really violent, some really evil people who had bad intentions. And, and you know, I hope that gets me over, uh, you know, gets me over to push and, and that gets me in. And, and that's how I want people to remember you like, Hey man, you know, he was a little bit wild. Um, you know, he, he was a little hard to work with sometimes, but man, he worked his ass off and he did it for the right reasons. And he made a difference, yeah. maybe a small difference, right? In a big picture, but he made a difference in, in the world that he could. For the good. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. I think that's what we're all pushing for, man. Cause ain't not a dang one of us perfect, but man, we try, we try to do good. man. We try and we're swinging for the fences. That's right. Yeah, I love it. Yo, man, Lou, this has been amazing. This has been awesome. It's such an honor to have you on this podcast and have this conversation. It's such a good, authentic, genuine, real conversation, man. Not about the cool guy stuff, but about the work, about the journey. And I absolutely loved it, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. Hey, man, listen. You know, I obviously know of you and of your service and of everything you do. And and this is it's just it's my honor to know you, to meet you, and to be on your show, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the beginning. We're going to do more good stuff. I can't wait. Uh, and then one more time, where can people find you? Uh, where can people find you, the show, you know, your website, your handles, all that. It'll be in the show notes, but I like to tell them. Okay. Yeah. You know, the, the best thing you can do is go on uh, Discovery Plus uh, or or Max, HBO Max, and, and just look up Operation Undercover and, you know, watch it from beginning to end. It's you're going to love it. It's a groundbreaking show about undercover work. Uh, and the other thing, you can order my book, Storefronts Thing and ATF Agents Life Undercover. Just just jump on Amazon and, and order that book. And uh, the, the one last thing I will say is a big Hollywood company bought my life rights um, uh, and they are making a Netflix type series uh, about the book. 
It'll be a multi-season. It's about these storefront operations I did where we created these fake companies that were uh, staffed by undercover agents and we embedded ourselves into in, these communities and, and we just bought guns and dope and took out the trigger pullers. And they're going to make a, a series about it. So it, it helps if you go on and buy my book, Storefront Sting and ATF Agents Life Undercover. Heck yeah, man. I love it. Doing the Lord's work, brother. It's such an honor, man. One last time. Thank you, brother. More good stuff to come. Heck yeah. Boom. God bless. Thank you. Boom. Quick shout out to our sponsor, Staccato. My first pistol sponsor. Um, I've been sponsored by a lot of companies, right, over the years. But when it comes to pistol, that's my bread and butter. Pistol is something I believe in. You know, I'm a competitive shooter. You know, we're shooting anywhere from, you know, 800 rounds a month type of thing, right? So Staccato being what I believe is one of, if not the most complete handguns you can put in your hand. Um, it's got every component that a handgun could have, should have. Uh, they're actually extremely dependable now that they've made some changes. And these things are straight up tack drivers. If you're looking for a pistol that will do as much of the work for you as a piece of hardware can, obviously you have to have the, the, the marksmanship and all the different things, but different guns perform at different levels. And I want to say that Staccato is one of by far, for sure, take it from a competitive shooter, we're shooting the highest volumes of rounds constantly right now, not used to have a background guy, but like right now, when you go shoot, you're gonna see certain brands. Staccato is one of, if not the highest performing firearm that is both CCW, duty ready, and also competitive ready. So I wanna give them a shout out if you guys are looking for a good handgun to build your skills on top of, go check out Staccato, much love and respect. Yo, if you enjoyed that episode, uh, and you like learning things like that, I wanna encourage you to go to Protector Nation, build a profile, get in the Civilian Protector Project. Um, this is where you can learn from these guys. Uh, live Zoom calls, you can see the full modules that you just, uh, you just watched, and you can become part of a community. It's the first social media platform for protectors where we can get to know each other, we can network, we can learn together. We do live Zoom calls with different SMEs every single month. There's so much packed in there, I'm in there. Uh, it's an honor, it's a privilege, looking forward to working together to make the world a safer place by helping good people to become more willing, capable and prepared, protector nation, civilian protector project, let's go.